We're in Acts. Uh, we're going to actually get started in chapter 1 today, even though we're going to be going through Acts chapter 2. We started a new series last week called uh, Activate, the work that's restoring the world, the unstoppable work of God that's restoring the world. And we talked about how there's a story in Acts about how the, the, the Jewish religious leaders of the time were trying to decide what to do with this new group of people who were following Jesus. Should they try to get rid of them? Are they, are they creating too much of a disturbance in the order? Should they just let them be? And they decided, you know, of this work that these followers of Jesus are doing, if it's of God, it's going to be unstoppable. And if it's not, it'll just kind of disintegrate into nothing. And so they decided, let's just let them be and see what happens. And what we know is that the followers of Jesus go from 120 people or so right after the resurrection to within 350 years, there's over 30 million of them. There's this huge movement of people who are saying, we believe that Jesus, this Jesus figure, is the Messiah, the king of the world, and he's restoring everything that's been broken. And we want to be a part of this story of restoring the brokenness of the world. And it spreads like crazy. And so we thought it would be cool as a new church, to kind of look at this story of how the church grew and spread throughout the Roman world as we're a new church and saying, you know, as, as we're trying to connect with the brokenness of this community, what does it mean for us, this story that we belong to? So this series is a little bit of history, it's a little bit of theology, it's a little bit of kind of the practice of the church, the body of Christ and community, and our thought would just be, let's kind of go through the book of Acts and see kind of what, what church is all about what this body of people do. So last week we talked about how they were kind of united around this mission that Jesus had given them to go into all the world and to be his basically witnesses of what he has done and what he was doing. And so I kind of want to pick up on there on this mission that Jesus has given us, but I want to point out something that happens in Acts chapter 1. So if you are, have your Bibles or your iPhones or however you read, also the scripture will be on the screen behind me. Let's look at Acts chapter 1. And it says this, Verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So if you have a pen with you and you like to write in your Bible, circle that word Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convic- convinc- convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you like to write in your Bible, circle the word Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you want to circle Holy Spirit. There, again, the first couple verses of this book of Acts, the story of the church's work in the world, this term, Holy Spirit, appears three times over and over again. This work's being done through the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to wait for the Holy Spirit. You're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a very important concept to followers of Jesus. 
And today I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. So a couple things that immediately come to mind when you start talking about the Holy Spirit. Some of you might be like, oh goodness, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. What kind of church is this? And I hope it doesn't get weird on me. Other of you might be like, the Holy Spirit, it's about time we start talking about the Holy Spirit. Let's have some church, right? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We believe that as we understand God, how we relate to God, there's there's God, the Godhead, who God is, the supreme being that's created the world. There's Jesus in the Trinity. There's this revelation of what God is like. And then there's this Holy Spirit aspect of who God is. And so when we try to understand what the Trinity is, what God is, the Holy Spirit is absolutely key to kind of this theology of, of who God is. The Holy Spirit is how God is with us here on earth. And as Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples, he's saying, the Spirit, the Spirit of the living God is going to come upon you. And it's going to empower you. And it's going to be with you. And I will be with you because of the Spirit. I'm a big fan of Star Wars. The new Star Wars trailer is out this week. And I'm like, my nerd alert, you know, I'm just going crazy because I'm a totally nerd for Star Wars. I may or may not have read like 20 Star Wars novels when I was in high school. I don't tell a lot of people that. But, it, but in Star Wars, you have this idea of the force, right? The force is with them. And the force is this current that flows in and out of all of them. And it gives them these powers where they can like light lightsabers and jump really high. And it could also be used for bad because like Vader like strangles people with the force. But when I try to understand the spirit, that's, for me, that's almost the same kind of example. The spirit that, that God gives us flows through all of us. It unites us. It empowers us. It, 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 it reveals to us what God is like. It nurtures us. It guides us. It gives us wisdom. And for the book of Acts, this church, the Holy Spirit is completely present throughout their story. In fact, this term that we just looked at that appears three times in the first couple of verses appears 57 times throughout the book of Acts. There's only 28 chapters in this book. So at least twice a chapter, there's this Holy Spirit that's present with this church. Everything that they're doing revolves around this idea of God's spirit that's, that's in us, that's doing something among us. And the Holy Spirit that they're waiting for, Acts chapter 2 is kind of when the Holy Spirit comes to this community of people. And there's this really interesting story around the holiday of the Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And I wanted to look at that story and then kind of frame it around what's really happening in the story and then what it means kind of for us. Acts chapter 2, this happens. We go, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And this word Pentecost basically means the 50th day. It's this, it's this agricultural holiday for the Jewish people that was 50 days after the Passover. And so we know that when Jesus died was right around the time of the Passover, and then he rises from the dead. And this is kind of 50 days after that happened, after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So they're celebrating this holiday and it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And then it said, suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to each other in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard the language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all, all who are speaking Galileans? 
then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language, in our own language? And it goes off to list all these people that were represented, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and all these other things I can't pronounce, and Egypt and all parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And then others thought, maybe uh, they, they, they made fun of them, and they said, maybe these guys have just had too much wine. So when you think about the details of this story, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, it, it sounds a little bit like there's kind of chaos that breaks out. And these people start speaking in these different languages, and there's people from all over the world gathered this day. And it's interesting that they hear what these people are saying in their own language. In the way that they communicate, all of a sudden they can understand what God is doing here. Other people look at it and say, this is crazy. These people must be drunk on wine. But what happens is what we find is that later on it says that 3,000 people basically join the church this day. They come to Christ. There's this salvation moment. 3,000 of them come. When you think about the details of the story, it can kind of make you a little bit uncomfortable. It sounds too wild. It sounds chaotic. What's going on here? And when you kind of think of the details of the story, I think there's something to point out. There's two stories of Pentecost in the scriptures. The first story actually takes place a thousand years before this one. The first day of Pentecost. The first day of Pentecost is in Exodus. And it's found in the Exodus story. When the people of Israel leave Egypt and they're freed from their Egyptian oppressors and they go through the Red Sea, they pass through the water, they come out on the other side and they're a free people for the first time in their history. And they're this new nation and they're trying to figure out what does it look like to be a nation who are the people of God here and now. And they're led by this man named Moses that looks a little bit like Charlton Heston, we think. But Moses leads them out into the wilderness and they're free from Egypt, and they're trying to find their identity, and they go to this place called Sinai, and they wait to hear from God. And they're trying to figure out what is next for us now that we're free, now that we've started this whole new nation, that we're away from the Egyptians. They go here and they wait for God to give them direction. And what we find is that in this story, the first Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, when they get out into this desert at Sinai, there's this story where Moses takes them to this mountain, he goes up on the mountain and he says, stay here and wait. Which is kind of similar to what Jesus does in Acts 1. He says, stay here and wait till you hear from the Spirit. And in the story in Exodus, the people, they're gathered and they're waiting to hear from God. And what we find is that as Moses goes, he hears this loud, thunderous voice in Exodus 19. The voice of thunder. Much like in Acts chapter 2 when the people hear this, this mighty wind that's rushing, this roaring wind. It says, that Moses thinks it's the sound of war and chaos. There's another detail that says when Moses starts coming down from the mountain with this word from God, the people who are gathered waiting, this chaos breaks out in the camp, and, and everyone in the camp is, is drunk and going crazy. In this first story, they're told as, after they, they get this word from God to go back to the camp that they're going to go to this promised land and they're going to drive out the nations. And they're, they're given kind of this, this call to go into the promised land and do that. Many people say that this is the birthplace of the people of Israel. And in this moment, when they hear from God at Sinai, they're given this thing called the law 
or the Torah. And in this moment, their identity is found, this law that's been given to them by God that says, this is the kind of people that you're going to be. You're going to be my people, and you're going to basically show the world what I'm like, and you're going to start this new kind of of, of community. And they're given this law, this Torah, and they become the people of the Torah that guides everything that they do. And when you think about the details of that first Pentecost story, and you compare it with the second one, you find that the writers of, of, of Luke, Luke is, is retelling the Pentecost story through the lens now of Jesus. In fact, when you look at and kind of compare the details, the disciples are waiting to hear from God. The people are waiting to hear from God at Sinai. There's this loud, thunderous voice. There's this violent wind in Acts chapter 2. It's the sound of war in the camp in the Exodus story. It's the sound of chaos for Acts. The people are, are actually drunk in Exodus 32, and they think that they're drunk in Acts chapter 2, but they're not. 3,000 are slain by the Levites as this chaos breaks out, and in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people are saved, and they're given this new life. They're told to drive out the nations in Exodus, and then in Exodus chapter 2, or in Acts chapter 2, they're told to go into every nation with this message that Jesus has given them. This is the birthplace of Israel at Sinai in Exodus, and this is the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. And in Exodus, they're given the law to guide them. And in Acts chapter 2, they're given the Spirit to guide them. So both of these holidays are celebrated. One in the Old Testament, the Pentecost. One in the New Testament. And they have these kind of eerie, strange details that are similar to each other. And the story in the Old Testament is so important for the Jewish people because their identity is wrapped up around waiting at Sinai, hearing from God, being given a task in the world that's going to guide them as a people. And in Acts, what the author is saying is, what happened in Sinai that gave you your identity, the same thing is happening now for the church. God is showing up, his spirit is here, and he is giving us this, basically, the, the, the power to be his people, the church, here and now. The birth of the church happens. And for the Old Testament, for the Old Covenant, what we find is their identity is based on the law. If go to the next slide. Their identity is based on the Torah, this book that guides them. And everything that they do is, is based on what this book has guided them to do. And in the New Testament, their identity of the church is based on this idea of the Spirit, that God is with us, that his Spirit is with us. Their identity is much more uh, uh, wrapped up um, with what God is doing in their life. And we think about all of us, we're very spiritual beings. We're humans, we live in this material, physical world, but there's something in us called our, our, our soul. There's this inner spirit that's inside of all of us. And when the Spirit comes on Acts chapter 2, God is giving his Holy Spirit to these people. And it's absolutely essential to their identity. It's absolutely essential to their identity. When Jesus talks about this idea of the Spirit and the law, the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, he says this in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, that he doesn't come to abolish the law for the people of the Torah. He says, I haven't come to just do away with it, but I've come to fulfill it. I've come to show you what the law was supposed to be all about. And when we live the way that God has taught us to live, this is what it looks like. So Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law. Your identity is based on the Torah. I've come to show you what fulfillment of the Torah looks like. And we see that in the life of Jesus. So we don't just throw away this Old Testament law that comes at the first Pentecost. 
But now it's, it's this living out of the law that we have in Jesus that his spirit allows us to do as well. The Apostle Paul picks up on this idea of the law and the spirit in Romans chapter 8. He goes through this whole explanation of those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for them. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. So there's this law of the spirit now that sets us free from the law of sin and death. This idea of the spirit being in us, guiding us, being kind of our compass in this world is absolutely essential to the identity of this new church. The spirit of the living God is with them, guiding them, empowering them. Uh, Paul goes on in Galatians uh, chapter 3 and chapter 5 and talks about this idea of the law that has come to, to reveal what God is like and then the spirit that has come for something else. And this is kind of the central point of what's happening here is this. The central point is that the law was given in the Old Testament. The law was given to show us God's desires for his people and for this world. And in the New Testament, the Spirit was given to give us God's desires in this world. To give us the desires of God. So the law was something that guided them, and it was showing us what this is what God desires. But the Spirit is actually giving his people the desires of God. So we would use phrases like, as a church, we want our heart to break for the things that break the heart of God. Because when God's spirit is inside of us, we desire the things of God, not just our own agenda. So in this story, as Luke is telling it, the spirit, the Holy Spirit comes on his church in Acts chapter 2. And it empowers them with the desires of God for the world. And we know that our God is good. We know that our God is near the brokenhearted, that he's compassionate, that he's loving, that he's perfect. And God is giving us that spirit as a church to say, we are your people, we are the body of Christ, to do the things that you want to do, to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish here and now. The spirit gives us the desires of God. There's this author, D.L. Moody, that writes this when it comes to the Holy Spirit. It says, you might as well try to hear without ears or breathe without lungs as try to live a Christian life without the spirit of God in your heart. Think about that. The essentials of of living, you might as well try to hear without ears or breathe without lungs. Let's try to live a Christian life following Jesus without the Spirit of God in your life, because the Spirit gives us the desires of God in this world. What we find is when we start to understand this, when we start to have the Spirit empower us to be the people of God, a few things happen. And the first thing is that God gives us his Spirit so that we can experience him. We experience God through the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit that's inside of us. We experience God. And this is important because for the early Christians, this message of Jesus in their life wasn't just this message about knowledge. It was this message about experience. For the Christians, it wasn't something about just about what they knew, but it was about something that they had experienced that was real. For many of those Christians, they had experienced the resurrection of Jesus. They had seen it. And they had said, we, we know this is true because we've seen it. And for the other Christians who, who started to go on from here, who didn't actually get to, to live with Jesus, like the Apostle Paul, they had these experiences through the Holy Spirit where they, say, they would say, I know that Jesus is real because I've experienced him through his Holy Spirit. For us, when we try to understand what this invisible God is like, for me, my own story, it's, it's, it's based not just on what I know, but it's based on what I've experienced. 
in my life through the Holy Spirit. When I think about the times where God has shown up and I've felt this very real presence of him, that he's near to me in times of brokenness, that he's near to me when I need wisdom in times of confusion. We've had this experience that's real and it's actually tangible and meaningful. So the Holy Spirit allows us to experience God here on earth. It's interesting as we try to describe what that experience is like. What is it to experience the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? What we find in in Scripture when it talks about people who, who experience God's presence in their life, when we look through it, we get kind of all sorts of answers. They try to describe the Spirit in different ways. At one point, they say that this Holy Spirit is like a, it's like a dove that comes down from the sky. They describe it as this bird that flutters down. And in another passage, it talks about the Holy Spirit kind of being like this all-consuming fire, this, this fire that comes and it consumes and it spreads and it's violent and it's chaotic. Other times, they talk about the Spirit as being uh, like a water, which is completely different than fire, right? But this water that comes and it brings life, it's life-giving, it flows, it's a current. Other times they talk about this spirit as a wind, a wind that flows through the world. And when you think about wind, you can't really see wind, but you only can see what wind can touch and affect. And they say, this is what the Spirit of God is like. So what we find is when we experience God through this spirit, it kind of looks different all the time. And we're trying to explain something that, that we have from our personal experiences. And we know it's real. We know it's, it's something that's meaningful to us. But there's no formula for the Spirit. You can't box it in and say, this is exactly how the Spirit of God works in our life. And even when I think about the Spirit in my life and how I've experienced it, it's probably much different than what my wife Marcy would experience the Holy Spirit in her life as. But we both know something happens that's real, that God is with us because of the Spirit. I think one of the most uh, uh, meaningful experiences I've had where I've just felt like I could feel God's presence in me, I could feel the Holy Spirit in me, is, is for me hiking. I love to hike. I love to get up on the mountain. I can get up and get perspective, and, and it's kind of a break from the busyness of the world, break from technology, just me and my iPod up on a mountain. Um, I was hiking Camelback Mountain about a month and a half ago, and there was a storm that blew into Phoenix, and we've had all sorts of storms this winter, lots of rain. Um, but I was up on the mountain, and it was kind of like, had this, it was enveloped by this cloud. This cloud had come and just kind of hovered over Camelback Mountain. So I was, I was climbing up. I was really excited because I've never been inside of a cloud like that before. And I uh, didn't know what to expect, if it was going to be like, you know, wrap my hands around the cloud and hug it. As I headed towards the top of Camelback, though, this, there was this kind of mist, this haze on the trail up. And then I got to the top of Camelback, and I was completely surrounded by this white cloud. And it was one of those moments for me that was like, uh, this is what like, the Holy Spirit's presence like, is like in my life. Being up there on this mountain, looking around, I could kind of see through the fog. I could kind of see what was out ahead of me. I knew there was something there, but the fog blocked it. And then a wind would blow, and all of a sudden, I'd be able to see it. And even though I could see the cloud, it was this big white cloud. I couldn't touch it. It was right in front of me, and you'd try to grab it, and it's just air, which is surprising. you think there would be some sort of like pressure or something of the cloud. It's just air. And I also felt completely alone with God in that moment because no one else was crazy enough to hike Camelback that day, I guess. And I'm glad they didn't have to send a helicopter to get me. But, but just completely surrounded by this cloud on top of a mountain, it was like, 
this is like, this is the, the presence of God is here. The presence of God is all around me. And there's this communion I have with God. I'm experiencing him today in this way. I don't know what that experience looks like for you when God's presence comes into your life and you know you're experiencing the goodness of the creator of the universe. I don't know what that feels like. But we have this real encounter with the living Christ through the Spirit. That experience always leads to this. The experience of the Spirit, experiencing God, leads to empowerment from God. The experience of the Holy Spirit always leads us to empowerment. For Jesus, he says, wait till the Holy Spirit comes and you will receive power. The Latin word for Holy Spirit, the Latin word for spirit is this word fortis. It's also where we get the word fort. There's power in this presence of God. It empowers us every single day. Um, we sing that song about you make me brave. There's this idea that the Holy Spirit is something that gives us courage. It gives us strength. Um, and for the early church in Acts, what we find is they're filled up by the Spirit and they have power to actually go and, and, and spread this message of God's plan for redemption. And they go into different places that are dark and terrifying and scary. And over and over again, the Spirit comes and it empowers them to overcome whatever obstacle they have. And an experience with the Holy Spirit in our life empowers us to be the people of God here and now. What we find is that this empowerment um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the empowerment that comes from the Spirit is these things that we call as the church spiritual gifts. We have this gifting that God has given each and one of, every one of us. Now, we all have different abilities, mad skills, you know, we're good at different things. For me, it's softball. <laughs> Not really. We all have these different talents. But then there's also this spiritual gifting that we're all given. That's something deep inside of our soul we just... Uh, we get fired up to do. And in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul is talking about this empowerment of people who follow Jesus that have these spiritual gifts that are activated through the experiencing of the Holy Spirit. And he goes through this different list of things that are leading and teaching and serving and healing and doing children's ministry. Woo! We've got lots of those in here. Um, there's, this, there's these different gifts that are given that we call spiritual gifts. That from the experience of the, the, the Spirit, we're empowered and those gifts are activated in our life. And for me, I've, I've done some different assessments on trying to figure out what my spiritual gifting is. And what I found, one of the, the really high ones was knowledge. And one of the really low ones was wisdom, which is the application of knowledge. So I'm like, man, I'm like useless, right? <laughs> but each one of you has been given different gifts that are spiritual gifts to be used for God's plan for redemption in this world. And our hope as a church is... We want to help you identify what those gifts are and then help you activate them so that God can use you in different ways, not just for this church plant, but for this community and for uh, your own personal life and for your occupation. What do those spiritual gifts look like? There's empowerment that comes when we experience the presence of God. We're empowered. These gifts are activated in our life. There's also in Romans chapter 8, this empowerment talks about this intercession of prayer. This word intercession is that in Romans 8, it talks about how when we have these huge needs in our life, when we experience like the, the confusing disappointment that comes with life, when we can experience brokenness, and we're like, what do we do about this? Our thought as followers of Jesus is we always go to prayer. We pray for God's will to come. 
And we're not always sure how to discern what God's will is or why certain things happen or why bad things happen to us, to good people, to other people. But it says that the spirit that's now empowered intervenes for us and it helps us as we pray. And so as we go to God in prayer, the spirit is activated to help us line our desires with the desires of God. There's this intercessory that happens where the Holy Spirit interprets what our wants are, our godly desires, and conveys that to God. There's this empowerment that comes through prayer. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, there's this empowerment that comes, and it, and it talks about where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. So anytime we experience God, we're empowered with this idea of freedom, that God sets us free from the things whoops, that oppress us in, the, in this world. And whatever it is that oppresses you, with the experience of the Holy Spirit, there's freedom that's found. Whether it's an addiction, whether it's a relationship, whether it's just this oppressive force in your life, there's power that sets us free. There's freedom that's found when we're empowered by the Spirit. And then finally, this empowerment of the Spirit uh, always leads, finally, to this. So the empowerment of the Spirit uh, leads to evidence of God. So the Holy Spirit allows us to experience God. It empowers us. And it also reveals to the world the evidence of God. And so what we have this, this phrase, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. The evidence of God's presence in our life. If you're a Spirit-filled person, if you're this person where God is alive in your life, the evidence would be these things. That you would be a person of love, of great love. The kind of love that God has given us. That you would be a person of joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That people who have experienced the living God, who are empowered by God, uh, the evidence would be these things. These are the characteristics of someone who is in relationship with Christ. The evidence that God is here. For a church, for the body of Christ, these should be things that are absolutely prevalent in everything that we do. Are we a people that love others well? The love that God has given to us. Do we love people unconditionally? Not based on who they are, what they look like, what they've done, but based on the fact that they are made in the image of God. Do we love others well? Do we love like Christ loved us? We think about joy, this fruit of the Spirit, being a joyful person. Joy doesn't necessarily mean always happy-go-lucky, But joy is not based on circumstances. But it's this idea that God's spirit that we've experienced that's empowering us has allowed us, no matter what circumstances, to experience this joy, the joy that comes from God. I want to be a church that's full of joy. I want to be a church that's full of goodness and kindness. Um, When I think about these fruits of the spirit, this evidence of God in our life, For me, probably the two that I struggle with the most, um, that are the most difficult, is peace, the fruit of the Spirit, God's peace in our life. Because I'm a very anxious person. I'm stressed out. I worry. I always anticipate worst-case scenarios. Drives my wife crazy. Because even if I don't really believe it, I process it with her. And so, like, the sky is always falling. Everyone hates me. Our softball team was, like, Terrible for a while, getting better. Having the peace that the peace of God that transcends understanding um, in my life, something that I crave, 
And when the Spirit of God is in you, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're a person of peace. You're a person that experiences that God is in control of this world, not us. In anxiety, what happens is when I'm anxious about something, I tend to try to be more controlling with something. And it's really the opposite. Peace comes when we say, God is in control, not us. The second thing I really struggle with, I couldn't wait to get this one, uh, patience. Patience, being, being someone that can wait for the things of God to come my way. And this is hard, especially in our culture. We live in an Insta culture, right? Instant gratification. Everything needs to happen here and now. So we take shortcuts. We desire to have things now. Especially for, for young people, this is really, really hard because we're, we don't have a longer view of, of, of life. We don't understand that things happen over time. They take time to develop. Um, we want everything here and now. Patience for me is absolutely difficult. But evidence that the Holy Spirit is in my life, that is in your life, is that you're a person, person that is patient in this world. We think about this evidence. I wonder what it is for you that you know, yeah, that's evidence that God is in my life, that I'm experiencing the Spirit, that I'm empowered. And then you might look at some of those and say, I need more of that. I need more of that. As we end today, Matt's going to come up, and we're going to take communion. And our hope today is this. The Holy Spirit is absolutely the source of life for this church in Acts. And everything that they do comes from the experience of the presence of God. They're empowered to be significant people in their community. And then there's fruit that comes from that source of life. Today, I don't know what your experience with the Holy Spirit has been, uh, but my hope is that the Spirit of God would be activated in your life. That the Spirit of God would become real, that it would become prevalent, that you would experience His goodness. And so today as we go to communion, as we take time to reflect, to prayer, to center around this moment of, of what the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit's role is, let us know that we are people who are guided by the Spirit. I want to be a presence-driven church in everything that we do. The Spirit of God would be with us. And I don't want to do anything or go anywhere without that presence. For some people, um, it might look different, what the, what the Spirit is in your life. Um, for me, it's usually very quiet and reflective. For other people, it's something that energizes them. But today, as we take communion, uh, my hope would be that you would just reflect on these questions. What does that look like when the Spirit comes upon me, when it's activated in my life? And then allow Him, the presence of God, to rest in you. Maybe uh, you need to do something very physical, like open up your palms in this time and receive the Spirit of God. Allow Him in. Uh, maybe it's something that you just need to bow down and, and worship. Uh, maybe you need to move around. I don't know what it is today, um, but to allow the Spirit to be activated in your life. So we're going to take some time to uh, just kind of reflect on these questions and then move to communion. And then after you take communion, you, you feel, feel free to be dismissed. You can take off after that. Or if you want to just kind of stay and pray, um, find someone that you can pray with. Um, I'll be kind of in the back. I'd love to pray with you. Or if you just want to come up and sit and worship and, or listen. Um, but may the Spirit be activated 
in this place today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. Lord, as we read the story in Acts chapter 2, the story of the Pentecost, the story of the birthplace of the church, where these people are gathered and they're waiting, and they're trying to figure out what to do next, we see that they're empowered by your Spirit. And we see that they're a part of this, this bigger story of your work in the world that goes back a thousand years even before that but the story that takes on this new meaning for this new place, this new time. Lord, we all know that this is our story as a church, as your church globally. And today in this small setting, as we reflect and focus on your living presence in our life, Lord, may your presence, may your spirit become real to us. May it be activated in our life. May we experience you. May that be our source of strength and power. And may there be evidence of that in this place, in our community. Lord, we give you this time. Your sons and we pray. Amen.